0: Praise God. Let's turn over to John chapter 13. This is what I've been teaching from during this series. If you've missed any of this or, you know, even if you've been here at every service, I'd encourage you to get the CDs or the DVDs from these meetings because I can promise you that you don't get everything that I say even though you're sitting there. I don't know how to describe that, but it just doesn't happen. I've gotten CDs of things that I've listened to and I've listened to some things 10 or 15 times and you go through and you still get something brand new out of it that you never saw before. So I believe that God has been speaking to us. I think that this has really been a godly series that the Lord has been trying to commit or communicate His love to us. And uh, you just need to get this and be able to go back over it. Plus, it is a great way to share with other people is to take these CDs or DVDs home and share it. You know, you could have a Bible study and you'd just invite people over. And even if they don't agree with what I'm saying, it'll be a great thing to get to talking. <laughs> Amen. You can, you can say, do you agree with that? No, I think this guy's completely off the wall. And it'll be a great opportunity to just sit and talk about the Lord and look up the scriptures and just go, all right, well, then what does that verse mean? If it doesn't mean that. And so, anyway, I encourage you to get these. It's... It would really, really help you. In uh, John chapter 13, I've been using verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And he said here that he wants us to love others... "...as He has loved us." I've taken a little bit of liberty with this, but I believe it's also accurate to say... ...that we can only love others after we have received His love for us. You can't give away what you don't have. And I really believe that the vast majority of people do not have a real revelation of God's kind of love. Religion has distorted God's love and made it conditional that if we don't do certain things, then God won't move in our life. And they have tied God's love to our performance. And the moment you do that, you lessen God's love. One of the great things about the love of God is that it's unconditional. It's not because we deserve it. You know, right here in this very chapter, look up here in uh, the first part of this chapter. It says, this is the night that He took communion with His disciples... And in verse two, this is uh, John thirteen two. And supper being ended, the devil now, uh, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, and that He was come from God and went to God. In other words, this is just saying that Jesus had a full revelation that He was God manifest in the flesh, that he had all power and authority. He knew completely who he was. In verse 4, "...he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded." You know, this was the job of a slave. This was the job of the most menial servant. And this was a custom of the day. We just had a... I got an email yesterday, I think it was, or day before, from our Phoenix Bible College, and they had had a big uproar in the school because one of the English students that's in the Phoenix Bible School thought that you couldn't truly have communion if you didn't have a foot washing, because that all went together right here in this 13th chapter, and so... This woman wanted to have a foot washing as they had a com- had, had communion and other people didn't want to have a foot washing. And so they had this big uproar and finally they went ahead and had the foot washing and the person humbled himself, and it turned out good. But anyway, I sent them an email that, you know, uh, it even says down here that Jesus says, do you know what I've done? And then in verse uh, 13, he says, you call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If then... If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given unto you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. And so people took this verse and said, this is a scriptural thing. you got to have foot washings. I've done it before. I've done foot washings. There's nothing wrong with it. But the point is... I told the people that are running our school in Phoenix, I said, this is the job of the minister, is to keep the main thing the main thing. People always want to get off on a tangent and argue about trivial, insignificant things. Foot washing wasn't the deal. That was a custom of the day, and people wore sandals and they got their feet dirty, and it was just a custom that when you entered into a house, they washed your feet, and that was a normal thing. Did you know today that's not a custom and people wear socks and hose and it's not always a convenient thing and foot washing is not the issue. The issue, what this is all about, was that God Almighty, knowing who He was, humbled Himself and did the most menial task for a person. You can do the same thing today in a lot of different ways. You could go get somebody a cup of coffee. You could go serve them. You could bring them something. You could uh, ask them, is there anything you can do for them? Foot washing is not the issue. Amen. I'm not against it. I'm not opposed to it. You can wash feet if you want to, but there is no virtue in foot washing. The virtue is in the fact that God Almighty humbled Himself and washed the disciples' feet. Something that was below his dignity. And did you know that Judas was still here? You read later in this chapter is when he said that one of you is going to betray me. And he's, they, everybody said, who is it? And he said, it's the one that I give the sop to. And he did this later. And Judas left after this. So this means that G- Jesus, who was their Lord and Master not only humbled himself and served his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and all of the godly ones, but did you know he washed the feet of Judas? And if you read over in, uh, just since we're here in John, look in John chapter 6, and in verse 64... It says, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. He knew Judas was the traitor. He knew that that very night, this man was going to come up and kiss him to betray him. Not just betray him, but betray him in a way that I don't know, it just it makes it even worse to think that somebody would kiss you to betray you. Jesus knew all of this, and yet he humbled himself and served Judas and ministered to Judas. That's the way that God's kind of love is. He says, I want you to love other people as I have loved you. You know, it says in Romans chapter 8 that some of us would give our life for somebody who was really important to us. There may be a few people that would give their life for another person that they didn't know, but none of us would give our life for a person who hates us and is going to betray us. And yet Jesus died for the ungodly just as much as He died for the godly. He washed the feet of Judas and showed him the same love and respect as He showed Peter Andrew, James, and John. That's the way that He loved us. And this is how He told us to love one another. Most of us don't love other people that way because first of all, we haven't received it. But you know, if you ever understand how much God has forgiven you, there's a parable in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew about the man who owed a master the equivalent of like 10 million dollars just an extravagant amount. And he was going to be thrown into prison until he could pay off his debt. And he begged the master for mercy and the master let him go and forgave his entire debt because he asked $10 million. And then that man went out and he had somebody that owed him the equivalent of like $10,000, a relatively small sum. And he was going to throw that man in prison until that man paid him And the man begged him and pleaded for mercy and he said, no way, and went ahead and threw him in prison. And when the master heard about it, he said, you wicked servant. I forgave you this huge debt. Why wouldn't you forgive somebody else a relatively small debt? And he wound up throwing him in prison and said, you won't come out until you've paid the very last mite. And you know, the principle of this is that if you could understand how great a debt God has forgiven you, then you would be enabled to turn around and forgive other people who have done things to you. Man, that's simple, but that's profound. And I believe I can say from that that you know what? If you are having trouble with unforgiveness, if there's somebody that you haven't forgiven, it is not what they've done that's the problem. The problem is you don't understand how much you've been forgiven because nobody, nobody, I don't care what's happened to you, nobody has ever done anything remotely as bad to you as what you did to God. And some of you think, oh, that's not true. You don't understand. I was raped. I was abused. I have been lied about. I've had this happen. Those things pale in comparison to the fact that we sinned and caused God Almighty had to send His only Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. You caused the death of the Son of God. He had to pay for your sins. And if you ever understood that, that you've been forgiven this huge debt, and if you could understand that God loved you and just gave it to you, you didn't deserve it. You didn't even ask for it. Jesus died for you. You didn't ask and then He came to the earth and died in response to your request. Before you ever asked, Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins and commended His love towards you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, Romans 5, 8. God loved you when you were unlovely, when you were ungodly. Before you asked, if you never asked, It says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 2 that He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means He didn't just die for the people who He could tell would accept Him someday, the Christians. He died for the sins of every person that has ever breathed on this planet, whether they accepted Him or not. Jesus took Hitler's sins into His body. He became a mass murderer. He didn't just taste a little bit of sin. The scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. Jesus became an adulterer. He became a homosexual, a liar, a murderer, a thief. He bore that sin. He was separated from his father. His father turned away from him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a quotation from Psalms chapter 22. And in the next verse, it tells you why he forsook him. Because it says, but thou art holy, O Lord, that inhabits the praises of, of Israel. The reason God had to forsake Jesus is because he became sin for us. He bore that sin. And he died. He didn't just die physically. He died Uh, separation from God. He was rejected by God. God forsook him. He bore the shame of, of us. You know, if you could... I don't want you to say this out loud, but if you could just imagine right now some of the worst things that you've ever done in your life. I know that there's some of you that have done things. You wake up in the morning and you can't believe what you did the night before and what you've been through and the shame that came upon you. And how you felt. Think of your worst thing you've ever done and the shame that you've felt. Some of the things that you've been through. Jesus took not only your sin, but He took that shame. He felt your defilement. He felt your ungodliness. He felt your shame. And then He felt that not only of you, but multiplied times every person who has ever lived on the face of this earth. You know, when Jesus died, it says over in Isaiah chapter 52 that his face was marred more than the sons of man. That's old English, but it means that he he looked worse than any person had ever looked. And then it says that his form was marred so much that he didn't even look human. Jesus didn't look human. And that didn't come from the beating of the Romans. The Romans could only do so much. But he took every sickness, every disease, every deformity into his body. All of us have seen how that sin affects the countenance of a person. Sin will make you ha- Mary, Queen of Scots, the night before she was executed, had long red hair and she was so fearful the night before her sister cut her head off that she turned white-headed in one night's time. Her hair turned white. It affects your body. It'll cause wrinkles. It, you can look at some people and tell that they've lived a hard life. Just multiply that times billions and billions and billions of people. And all of this entered into the body of Jesus so that it says He didn't even look human. He didn't look like a human hanging on the cross. Jesus suffered amounts that most of us have never, ever been able to see. You know, when I saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ... There was people that criticized that and stuff, and I'm not against it. I'm, You know, I, I give Mel Gibson credit for even making an attempt to do that. So I'm not against that, but I'd heard so many people talk about how this just overwhelmed them with what Jesus went through and suffered that I was expecting to have a major encounter with the Lord. I was expecting to get a new revelation of how Jesus died for us. And as I watched that movie, I was actually disappointed. I looked at this and thought, this is it. And I was confused because I thought, God, everybody else seems to have been so impacted by this. And the Lord spoke to me and said that through the Holy Spirit, I have made what Jesus did for you more real than could ever be portrayed on a movie screen. And the Lord said that what you've seen by faith in the Spirit is bigger than what could ever be portrayed in the natural. And the Holy Spirit can quicken things to you and you can get an understanding that is much deeper than just a picture or a visual thing. You can see things by the Spirit that makes it more real. And Anyway, my point is that I have seen how much God forgave me for, what He did in my life. And because of that, it makes it so easy to forgive somebody else. I just pray that you're understanding what I'm saying here. But I've had people do things. I'm not, you know, I'm not the... I haven't been persecuted more than anybody else, but I've had my share of persecution. And I've had people say things and do things to me. And, um, you know, I've been kidnapped before. I've had people threaten to kill me. I've had lots of things happen to me, and yet I hadn't got a, I hadn't got any unforgiveness or bitterness towards a single person on the face of the earth. I've got people right now that, if they were here, they would do everything they could to destroy this meeting. They hate me with a passion. There are people. I've got a blog that says I'm the most dangerous man in America. I've got people that say I'm of the devil. They accuse me of all kinds of things. And you know what? I honestly hadn't got a thing against a single person. One of my very best friends that I've ever had in my life, just a few years ago, we had a partying of the ways over some stuff. And this guy has said terrible things. His family has blasted me. And you know what? I miss the guy. I'd love to see him. If he was here, I'd hug his neck. I'm not mad at anybody about anything. And I can tell you, I don't know how to get this across, but it's because I have been forgiven. I understand what God has done for me and what people have done to me is nothing in comparison to what I have done to God. And because I've received that love, I can turn around and forgive anybody. I had not got any bitterness towards anybody. It just isn't worth it. And I'm saying this in love, but brothers and sisters, some of you have bitterness in your heart, unforgiveness. If there was somebody here that has done something to you, you wouldn't wash their feet, you wouldn't show them kindness. But that's the way that Jesus did His disciples. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He washed Judas Iscariot's feet the night before Judas betrayed Him. And He knew everything. He knew that Judas was going to betray Him. He knew everything and He still extended love towards Him. You know what? There's not very many people that live that way because not very many people have understood how much God loves us. But once you understand that you're forgiven and how good God has been, it makes it like, man, I've been forgiven a debt that is so huge. This person owes me a dollar over here. It's not a big deal, amen. Just forgive it. Let it go. It's not an important thing. So what if somebody has done something terrible to you, tried to kill you? It's no big deal. It really isn't. The Bible says over in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, talking about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God the Father. For consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you also be wearied and faint in your mind. If you were to see what Jesus went through for you, and how He suffered for you, then it would make what you have to suffer to get along with other people so trivial in comparison that it's no big deal. Those of you who are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, you don't understand how much God has forgiven you. You're as hypocritical. I'm saying this in love, but I'm trying to... Put things into perspective. You're as hypocritical as the person who's been forgiven $10 million and won't turn around and forgive somebody who owes you $10,000. It's absolutely hypocritical. There is just no rationale for that. But the re- you can't give away what you don't have. And if you've never experienced, if you've never got a full revelation of how much God forgave you, then you won't forgive other people. But on the other hand, if you ever understand, if you ever get a taste of the pure love of God, I guarantee you it is so easy to turn around and forgive other people. I had a man when I was in Pritchett, Colorado, who um, was one of my friends, and I was pastor of the church, and he got offended at some things that I did, and he started saying things about me. He told people I stole money from the church, which I didn't even take a salary from the church. He told him I was stealing money. He told him I was doing drugs, that I'd gotten drunk, that I was having sexual relationships. He just lied about He said terrible, terrible things about me and accused me of things. And anyway, I went in and confronted him and talked to him about it. And he yelled at me. And did you know, I, I knew I didn't do it. Amen. <laughs> so it didn't bother me. And I just chose to forgive the guy. And I went in and told him that I loved him, ministered to him. And I, tried, I confronted him because he needed to quit spreading these lies. It was affecting other people's opinion about me, but I forgave the guy and let it go. And anyway, a week later, I was driving by his business and I was his pastor. And so I just, uh, it was a habit that every time I drove by his business, I'd stop and talk to him. And so I stopped and I asked Jamie, I said, do you want to go in? She said, nope, I'm not going in. <laughs> and I went in and talked to the guy and he wouldn't hardly talk to me. And anyway, I came back out and I got in the car and I said, something's wrong. I said, he's not friendly to me the way that he normally is. And I started talking and Jamie says, do you not remember what he did and how he yelled at you? And I had forgotten it. It was no big deal. I know some of you think, boy, you're weird. Well, I think you're weird. You can get to a place where, you know, it doesn't matter what people say about you. I'll give you a piece of information here. The only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. You have to place value on that person's opinion in order for them to hurt you. You know, you could come up to me today and you could start saying all kinds of things to me and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I just don't value you the way that I value God. And if I feel that God is pleased with me and that I'm doing what God tells me to do, I just make a comparison here. And I think, who are you? You're nobody. And that's the way I deal with your rejection. <laughs> Man. It's like God Almighty loves me and He thinks I'm all right. And He loves me and and He's for me. Who are you? You're nobody. I had a guy come up one time and start criticizing Jamie over the way she dressed. And Jamie always dresses nice. But he was a Pentecostal type. And she had on jewelry and she was wearing makeup. and And so he was... He was lambasting Jamie in the way she dressed. And I just stopped him right in the middle of the sentence. And I said, who died and made you God? And he just stopped and looked at me and said, what do you mean? And I said, who are you? You're nobody. I don't care what your opinion is. And he got really offended. And he says, you should care. And I said, I just don't care. I said, in the scheme of this whole world, you're nothing. I said, I don't value your opinion. Keep it to yourself. You know, I don't normally, I don't normally treat people that way, but people don't normally come up and start saying the things that he did. It's kind of like if you're standing here and if somebody just touches you like this, you know, you can forget that because it's not going to be a deal. But if they run into you and try and knock you over, you have to push back with equal strength or they're going to knock you off balance. The only reason you get knocked off balance is because you sit there and take it and you let people say things. If somebody's going to be rude enough to me to come up and start saying things to me and doing all this, I'll just tell them what I think. Don't ask me something unless you want to hear what I think. And I'll say it in love. I'm not mad at that guy. I was criticizing Jamie, but I wasn't going to let him sit there and knock me off balance and get into my head. Nobody's going to rent space in my head. I just am not going to let them have it. Amen. And I'm telling you, God has forgiven you such a huge debt. Why in the world do we let what other people do to us hurt us? It's because we just don't, we aren't full of the love of God. You know, in a sense, when I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Williamson, he's now a professor at Baylor. And uh, Mr. Williamson taught me a lesson I'll never forget. And he took a one-gallon tin gas can and put it on a Brunson burner and heated it and got it really hot and then screwed the cap on and just set it on his desk. And I was uh, being punished for talking and I was having to sit right in front of his desk. So it was just right in front of me. And uh, he put that can right there. And then he went on about his business and he was teaching and uh, doing all of these things. And I watched that thing as the air cooled inside, cold air is more dense and occupies less volume than hot air. So as the air cooled, there became a partial vacuum inside of that can And that can just started crumbling. It started popping and cracking, just like somebody has taken a hammer to it. And that thing actually bent in two and fell over on the floor right in front of me. And I never got over that. I remember thinking that 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 was just awesome. Nobody touched it, and yet this thing was just crushed by the natural atmospheric pressure. And you know, the Lord was speaking to me, and He says, This is what happens to people. It's not the things that go on in our life. Every person breathing has problems. Every person has people reject them. Every person has something go wrong. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to men. That means that it's just natural among everything. If you're thinking that nobody's ever known the problems that I've got, then that's one of the reasons that you got problems is because you're deceived and you're thinking that you're exempt from what other people have to say because they can't relate to you. They haven't been through it. That's not true. Everything that happens to you is common to man. All of us have problems. It is not... The normal everyday problems that crush people, it's the vacuum that's inside that causes these things to crush people. Did you know that 50, 100 years ago, society had the same problems they had? People say, oh man, we got more problems and stress today is worse on us. That's not true. Well, you don't know what it's like to drive in Houston traffic. You don't know what it's like with uh you know, to have your kids going all this way and we've got so much going. You've created all these problems on your own. But you know, I've got a friend over in uh, England who when he was a kid, they took him away from his family and put him in a field for how long was it? Years, wasn't it? Number of years, three or four years, because the bombing was going on in London. And so he was just out in a field living in a tent for years with other kids without parents when he was, how, four or five years old. Now that's pressure. But just not to have the designer jeans. Your tennis shoes don't light up when you walk and because of it you're, you're stressed out. The other kids have made fun of you. Kids are committing suicide because somebody bullies them. There have been bullies from day one. I was bullied when I was a kid. I was beat up. My brother used to have people bully him. My mother said, you just take it. My dad said, you defend yourself. And I remember one day we couldn't find my brother and we were looking for him. and So we just started home and we saw him standing at the, uh, underneath the bridge with a brick in each hand and two guys laying on the ground and two running across the field. He was bullied, and he survived. He didn't have to commit suicide. It's not what other people are doing to you that's the problem. People have had problems as long as there's been people on this earth. It's the vacuum that's inside. People don't have a morality. They don't have a moral compass. They are all wrapped up in themselves today. Everything is so selfish that people have a vacuum on the inside, and that's what makes them crumpling. If you feel like you're just under pressure, it's not your pressures. Everybody has pressures. If I was to tell you some of the pressures that I've got, I could make most of you feel sorry for me. I've got more problems than most of you do. And yet I'm not crumbling under them because I've not got a vacuum on the inside. I'm full of the love of God. And when you're full of the love of God, it just changes things. You know, before I was married, I used to be real sensitive to what do girls think of me. And, 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 you know, am I coming across? I was an introvert, and that was a major problem. But I used to worry about that. But when I got Jamie and I got married, I just didn't care what any girl thought about me because I got mine, amen. <laughs> and I love Jamie, and we have a great relationship, and that's not a factor anymore. I don't care about it. If you're worried about what everybody's thinking about you and this person said this about you and so you got your thumb in your mouth and you're just sucking your thumb and talking about how terrible everything is, it's because you had got a vacuum on the inside. If you knew how much God loved you, it just puts you into a bubble. It makes you immune to things. Perfect love casts out fear. You won't be afraid of people. You won't fear man. You won't fear what they do to you. It makes a difference. And there are some of you that don't have a clue what I'm talking about because you've never experienced a pure, unconditional love that somebody is going to love you even if you mess up. You've never experienced this. And so your whole life is conditional on trying to please everybody and and accommodate everyone. But I tell you, when you understand God's unconditional love for you, it just makes a difference. You know, I got drafted and sent to Vietnam, and I went through Vietnam. There was, there was a conflict going on because I was so in love with God that I just couldn't figure out how to live without being in heaven. And I spent a large portion of that time asking God to kill me so I could just go to heaven. So there was a discouragement that I fought over that. But at the same time, I was just basking in the love of God so powerfully that it was like I was in a bubble. And I didn't even realize how much of in a bubble I was until probably 20 years after being out of Vietnam. And I was in Chicago and a man came and brought me a book. There was 12 testimonies in this book of people who had been through Vietnam and had had terrible experiences... And every one of them was not a Christian when they were in Vietnam, but after they got out, the Lord healed them of their hurts and pains, and it was a powerful book. And so anyway, he autographed it because he was one of the 12 testimonies, and I knew he was going to ask me the next night if I'd read it, so I decided I'd read his testimony just be polite. I've never read anything about Vietnam, never cared to read anything about Vietnam. But I read his testimony and it was powerful. And so I thought, well, I'll read one more. And I read it and I wound up staying up all night long and reading that book. It was powerful and it was just great, the testimonies of how the Lord set people free. But anyway, the thing I wanted to share with you was as I read that book, I think I was there in one of these testimonies. I'm not certain of it, but I was a chaplain's assistant, and I went out with the chaplain to this fire support base that was on the edge of Laos. You could see the Ho Chi Minh Trail and the deuce and a halfs and trucks and stuff coming down the trail from this place. It looked over into Laos, and uh, it was a fire support base. There was only about it was less than it was about the size of this auditorium, and we landed there, and there was 120 guys on that hill, and they were under extreme Uh, attack, and anyway, we went out, and this chaplain basically administered last rites to these guys, and then they pulled us out, and we left, and that hill was overrun, and nearly every person on that hill was killed within just a few hours of when I was there. And when I was up on this hill, uh, like I said, it was a space about this size, and we took a hundred and, I forgot, a hundred and twenty mortar rounds inside of that perimeter while I was there. It was intense, and you could see the muzzle fire from the people as they came up the hill. They were just in the process of overrunning that hill. And so I had my M16 pointed down the hill, but they were too far away for me to take a shot. I never shot my M16 at a person over there. I didn't have to kill anybody. But I remember looking at this, and we were just being pounded by the Vietnamese and I had my M16 pointed down the hill. And uh, I remember what was going on. I was just so in love with the Lord. I was just, oh, Jesus, this is awesome. It's like, I could meet you today. I could be in heaven before the day is out. And I was just, I was had tears in my eyes. It was like, God, this is awesome. Jesus, today could be my... And I was just so happy and so blessed. Perfect love cast out fear. I had zero fear. I was just basking in the presence of God and I was thinking about, you know, if they get close, I will shoot them. And and I started praying for the Vietnamese. I started saying, you know, I, I don't mean this bad, but we called them dinks. I don't, I don't know. That's just what we called them. I, anyway, I said, if these dinks get close enough, I'll shoot them. And Father, they don't know you. And I just pray that you'd reveal yourself to them. And I was interceding for the people I was about to shoot. <laughs> I never did have to shoot one. But I remember that. And anyway, the reason I bring this up is because when I read that book, I, heard, I saw it from an unbeliever's standpoint. The person who wrote that wrote about being overrun and what it was like and the smells. You could smell the Vietnamese long before you could ever see them because they ate this real strong fish. And you could you could be on Bunker Guard and you could tell when they were coming. You could smell them a mile off. That's not an exaggeration. And so anyway, he was talking about the smells. He was talking about the smoke, about the mortars that were exploding. And he described it in such vivid language that here I was 20 years later... And fear jumped on me. I mean, I stayed up most of the rest of that night just petrified. Like, what in the world was wrong with me? I never felt any of this. And 20 years later, it dawns on me what a normal person would have felt like. And I just started praising God for the bubble that I was in. But I use all that to illustrate that you can get so enveloped in the love of God that if people are trying to kill you or whatever, I mean... What's the big deal? Amen. You can lose your life in the Lord. I mean, we sing songs about when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. <laughs> Something's wrong with this picture. You know what? If you were really walking in the love of God, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if the doctor told you are going to die, it's all you could do to keep from reaching up and just kissing him. Man, that's the best news I've ever heard. That's awesome. I'm either going to go be with Jesus or I'm going to get healed either way. I'm going to glorify God and this is going to work out for good and no problem. Well, they're going to lay me off. Man, look at it as a promotion. God is your source. God's got something better for you. Somebody said, man, you just don't deal with reality. I don't deal with your reality. I really don't. And really, that's what it amounts to. It's, the difference is, God has revealed His love to me. I don't have a total revelation of it, but I've got a much greater revelation than I used to have. And I just know that God loves me. And because of that, I can truthfully say that come what may, nothing is ever going to touch God's love for me. And I can, I can rejoice. I know I'm going to win. I'm like a cork. You could take me to the bottom of the lake and I'll rise again. It doesn't matter what the devil throws at me, what life throws at me, I'm going to come back because I'm full of the love of God. I know that God loves me. And brothers and sisters, I am not special. God doesn't love me one ounce more than He loves you. The only difference is that I may have a greater revelation of His love than what you have. And it didn't come accidentally. It came through studying the Word, through seeking God. God loves you and you need to understand that love. Look over here in the 8th chapter of the book of John. Here's another example of God's love towards what we would call the unlovely. In John chapter 8 verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again unto the temple and all the people came unto him and and he sat down and taught them and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery and when they had set her in the midst they said unto him Master this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now this will reveal something to you. They weren't interested in justice. They weren't really trying to get justice done. They came and they tempted him. If this woman was taken in the very act, then according to the way that uh, my dad taught me about this, that means that there had to be a guy there. And yet they didn't bring the guy. They only brought the woman. Why didn't they bring the guy if they really were after justice? It's probably because he was one of theirs. That's how they knew that this was going on. He set the whole thing up. It's probably one of his normal prostitutes he went into. And uh, he just tipped the other guys off. And as he was having relations with her, then they came in and caught her and let him go. Because, you know, you solicit more pity for a woman than a man. We still honor women and respect women. And so they were, what they were doing was trying to put Jesus in a bind. They were going to say that Moses in the law commanded that a person taken in the act of adultery has to be stoned to death. And so they wanted him to stone her to death. If he had done it, then all of the people that were receiving his message on the love and the grace and the mercy of God would have walked away thinking, well, he preaches it, but he doesn't live it. And so they would have uh, hurt his ministry. If he uh, didn't condemn her, well then they had the right to kill him. Because you had to not only execute judgment, but if you didn't execute judgment, you could be condemned. And so they thought they had him. Either way he went. If he condemned her and killed her, the crowds would leave him. If he didn't condemn her and kill her, then they could kill him. So this was a setup. It was trying to come against Jesus. And so, uh, this they said, tempting him in verse 6, or excuse me, let me back up. In verse 5, it says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Again, that, this was a setup. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You know, we don't know what he was writing on the ground, so I don't really know that there's any point in me trying to say what he wrote on the ground. But he wrote something, he did something that the Holy Spirit used to convict these people and to show them their own hypocrisy. This is just ideology. I have no way of knowing, but you know, like, he could have written down the name of their mistress. He could have written down the name of the person that they stole money from because he later said, you know, that you have... Taken the widow's money, and you've, you've, by fraud, you've done this. And these scribes and Pharisees, they were very ungodly people, and yet they professed to be very godly. They had the outward trappings of it, but it wasn't sincere. And I don't know, but he could have been writing down the name of their mistress. He could have been writing down maybe the exact amount of money that they had just stolen from somebody, and they were afraid that he was going to write their name out beside it. <laughs> he did something. And then he said, "...he that's without sin cast the first stone." And then he stooped down and wrote again something that the Holy Spirit used to convict them. And they all left. And so it says um, in verse 9, "...and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the least." And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Did you know according to the law, this woman was supposed to be killed? And yet Jesus... Now, this is important that you get this distinction. Jesus did not say, you didn't sin, it's okay. That is not accurate. And there are some people that when they try and portray the grace of God, they just tell you it's okay. It's not wrong anymore to go out and shack up with people and to do this. And they just change the rules. That's the way that they believe that the grace of God is, that nothing is sin anymore. That's not true. Jesus said, has no man condemned you? He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He said that having sex outside of marriage is sin. It was sin, but he didn't condemn her for it. He was going to take her punishment. He was going to suffer for her adultery. He took her judgment. He died in her place. And he says, I don't condemn you. But then he told her, don't go and sin anymore. Grace is not just overlooking problems. I wish I had the words to convey what I'm trying to say. People don't understand. They don't get what I'm saying. I I guess I'm not expressing it well. But grace isn't God just turning the other way and acting like it didn't happen. Grace is taking the justice and the punishment that you deserve and Jesus took it into himself and paid for it. Grace isn't looking the other way. Grace is paying your debt. And I mean paying every bit of your debt. Jesus suffered so that He could have grace towards you. It's not Him just overlooking it. It's, him, it's not Him saying, Hey, it's okay now. It doesn't matter how you live. It does matter how you live. But there isn't any condemnation to you. All of your condemnation was placed upon the Lord Jesus and God is not angry at you even though you mess up. He didn't condemn this woman. He extended mercy to her. He says, love as I have loved you. How did He love us? He took a woman in the very act of adultery. He didn't say that what she did wasn't wrong. But He says, I don't condemn you. And He defended her. There's some of you that think God will just let you, turn you over to the wolves and let them have you because you didn't read your daily Bible reading. Here's a woman taken in the very act of adultery that Jesus stood in between her and and her accusers. There are times that you feel like, well, I deserve everything I'm getting and you just feel like that you have to suffer because you deserve it. God doesn't give you what you deserve. He put all of your punishment upon Jesus and God is not giving you what you deserve. Religion is saying, oh yeah, he won't answer your prayers unless you've done all of these things. That is not true. Here's an example of God showing mercy towards a person, standing in between her, defending her, taking her side. When she was as sinful as she could be, caught in the very act, guilty, and yet God still forgave her. Even if you're guilty... If you have received Jesus as your Lord, you are in covenant with God and God is merciful towards you and He will never hold your sins against you. He will never be angry with you or wroth with you. Does this mean that that adultery is okay? No, that's not what I'm saying. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus didn't say go out and sin all you want to. He said go and sin no more. But He bore that punishment. God is not angry at you. And just for time's sake, I'm just going to refer to this, but the fourth chapter of the book of John is another example where Jesus ministered to the woman at the well. And what a great example this is. She was an outcast. Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and the Samaritans also hated the Jews. And the reason for this is because the northern ten tribes of Israel were taken captive into Assyria nearly a hundred years before Judah. The two southern tribes went into captivity. And so when the Assyrians conquered Samaria and the northern tribes of Israel, they sent colonists back from Syria who populated that area and they didn't understand the ways of God and because of it they were being destroyed. And so the Assyrian king sent back some of the priests that taught the Assyrians how to worship the God of Israel and offer sacrifices and go through the motions to appease the God of Israel, but they were not true Israelites. They were It was just a form of religion, but it wasn't the real thing. And so uh, there was a corrupted religious system. And then these people that were sent back intermarried with the Assyrians, which the Jews were forbidden to do. So there was a racial and a religious prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. The the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were half-breeds and they worshipped a polluted form of worship of God. They had their own temple in Samaria. And because of this, Samaritans and Jews wouldn't even talk to each other. And so Jesus was at this well in Samaria and this woman came to get water and he asked her for a drink. That looks like a totally innocent thing, but I guarantee you no Jew would have ever asked a Samaritan woman to give him a drink. That was terrible, prejudiced against that. The very fact that he humbled himself and asked somebody that according to the Jews' standards was infinitely below them showed that he put a respect on her and he honored this woman by just even making himself vulnerable and saying, would you help me? Would you give me a drink of water? And she responded by saying, how could you, a Jew, ask water of me, a woman of Samaria? And he says, if you knew who I really was... You would have asked me and I'd have given you water and you would have never thirst again. And she says, you don't have anything to draw water with. The well's deep. How are you going to get this living water? And Jesus began to start interacting with her and he says, whoever drinks this water is going to thirst again, but the person that drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. And he started speaking about spiritual things. And I don't know if she understood completely, but she finally realized that he was talking about something more than just the physical H2O. And she says, Lord, evermore give me this water. And he said, go call your husband. And I can just imagine her hanging her head and saying, I have no husband. That's all she said was, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you've correctly said I have no husband because you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not a husband. Here's a little parenthesis, a P.S., but for those who have been influenced by our modern society and think that just shacking up with a person is okay and it doesn't matter whether you get married, that's just a piece of paper, it doesn't mean anything. Jesus here said, this woman, I guarantee you, was shacking up with this guy and having sex with him and Jesus said, he is not your husband. Cohabiting with a person does not make you married. Jesus said, you aren't married, he is not your husband. You've had five husbands, but this one that you're living with now is not your husband. And when he said that, this woman was just overwhelmed. She says, you must be a prophet. And, she, and then she went into a theological question. The Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem, but we say that you can worship here. You know what? That's like the foot washing I was talking about earlier. Somebody wants to argue over, do you foot wash? Do you do it with this way? Do you do it that way? That's not the issue. Jesus said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. He says, a time has come that you have to worship God in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and you have to worship it. And he turned it right back to her personal relationship with the Lord. This is something that people will do constantly is when they start getting under conviction, they'll try and deflect the attention away from them to some theological issue and discuss it. Don't go there. Just keep their feet to the fire. Keep talking to them about their personal relationship to the Lord. And he just ministered mercy to this woman. He could have condemned her. And he could have said, you sorry thing, you're living in sin. But instead, he honored this woman. He reached out. He made himself vulnerable. He asked a sinful woman to help him. Which he didn't have to do that. He did that intentionally to humble himself. He reached out and he showed mercy. And he accepted this woman and he ministered salvation. And she, Ben, after all of the things he had said, when, when he operated in this word of knowledge, she said, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said, I that speak unto you am he. And man, she ran off to get her husband, to get, I mean, the guy she was living with, to get her friends and bring them out. And the entire city came out and got born again. But here's Jesus ministering to a woman who I'm sure was rejected by the Jews on just the basis of prejudice, but then she was also rejected by all of her friends because of her lifestyle. Everybody knew what an ungodly woman this was. And yet Jesus didn't condemn her. He reached out to her and He ministered to her. Same thing happened to the woman who came in and put the ointment on His feet and wiped them with their hair. And the Pharisee, the religious person, if he knew, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. And so Jesus proved he was really a prophet, not by exposing the woman, but by exposing the Pharisee and say, Simon, let me speak to you. And he just read Simon's mail. He didn't embarrass the woman, but he embarrassed the religious hypocrite. Man, Jesus... Operates in love. Jesus is merciful towards you. God is not holding your sins against you. He is not mad at you. He's been misrepresented. And I'm trying to represent Him correctly and say that God wants you to receive this love, this unconditional love. And if you ever understood how great a debt you've been forgiven, you would have no problem forgiving the trivial debts that people have against you. That is absolutely true. So what we need is a revelation of God's intense love for us. We don't need God to change everybody else. People are trying to pray, you know, God, get rid of everything, all obstacles, no problems in my life. That's not going to happen. We live in a fallen world. Satan's got more than enough people. There's always going to be somebody who hates you. I hate to pop your bubble, but that's just true. Jesus said, Beware when all men speak well of you, for so spoke they of the false prophets that were before you. I've got thousands of people that hate me, but I've got tens of thousands of people that love me. And you know what? It's just a choice. Are you going to look on the good? Are you going to focus on God and the good things that are happening, or are you going to focus on the bad? You need to receive God's love, and you'll reach a place where it doesn't matter. Who cares what somebody else thinks? God Almighty... King of kings, Lord of lords, loves me. He doesn't just tolerate me, He loves me. He died for me. We sang it this morning. I am a friend of God. What an honor that God Almighty is your friend. Who cares if somebody else doesn't like you? It's insignificant. You need to receive God's unconditional love for you. And if you were to really walk in the love of God, you could just reach a place to where you're in a bubble. It doesn't matter. They can be shooting at you, trying to kill you, and you're just thinking about, I can go to be with Jesus. It's no big deal. Amen. If I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. I can't lose for winning. God is for me. Who can be against me? Nobody. If God loved me enough that He spared not His only Son, but gave Him up for me, how much more will He also with Him freely give me all things? Nothing is going to separate me from the love of God. And once you get that attitude, I tell you what, it just transforms your life. Faith begins to work by love. Once you know that God Almighty is for you, it's not hard to believe. You just hope springs out of it. We used that verse yesterday out of... 1 Corinthians 13, that God's kind of love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things, bears all things. God's kind of love never fails. Brothers and sisters, God has given us everything that it takes to be absolutely victorious. The problem isn't that God hasn't given. The problem has been that we aren't receiving. We have been... Operating at a deficit because we haven't experienced God's kind of love. I've got a lot more to share about this, but I just got to quit and we'll continue tonight. Amen. But I tell you, God loves you. Somebody say, Well, I don't feel it. Well, then your feelings are wrong. Who cares how you feel? Well, I want to feel it. Just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up <laughs> and start saying that, you know what? God loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. God loves me, period. God loves me. Talk to yourself. Speak to yourselves. Tell yourselves about how much God loves you. And then tell Him how much you love Him for loving somebody as sorry as you. Amen? (laughs) And, And just praise Him. And I guarantee you, it will solve your problems. Amen? Father, we love you and we thank you for your great love for us. And I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would take these things that I've said today and get across to us your great love. Father, for those who got bitterness and unforgiveness and hurt in their heart because of what some person did. Father, I pray that the love of God would just flood them right now, that they would be overwhelmed with your love and it would drive all of this unforgiveness and bitterness out of them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, that we would let other people go, that we would just let it go. It's not important. And Father, we've been forgiven such a great debt that we would forgive others the trivial things that have been done to us. Father, that your acceptance of us would be sufficient, that we wouldn't become codependent upon people and have to have people to validate us, that you would be enough. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray these things for my brothers and sisters in here that you open up our heart and help us to see the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of the love of God and to experience it that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, we agree and we receive it. We thank you, Father. We believe that the Holy Spirit is sent to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. And we welcome that ministry. We welcome this revelation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me ask again if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus personally.